Hello, and welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Stuart Lee graduated from Cedarville University in 2013 with a degree in business, but little did he know exactly how God would use him to further the gospel. He had a heart for ministry and service, which was cultivated while he studied at Cedarville. Then, through some unique experiences, Stuart moved to Nicaragua and started a missionary-run school located in the mountains for the purpose of offering a quality bilingual Christian education for children from all walks of life. Today, Stuart and his wife Eugenia are thrilled to see how the Lord is using their ministry to impact children for eternity. Enjoy this conversation with your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, and hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today in the program, I am talking with Stuart Lee, a 2013 graduate of Cedarville University who is currently serving the Lord as a missionary in Nicaragua. Stuart and his wife, Eugenia, and their young daughter, Melody, are serving together at a Christian academy, which Stuart founded several years ago. Stuart earned a degree in business finance, but little did he know that when he was a student, exactly how God would use him to further the gospel. As a college student, Stuart had a heart for ministry and service. Then, through some unique experiences, Stuart moved to Nicaragua and started a missionary-run school located in the mountains for the purpose of offering a quality bilingual Christian education for children from all walks of life. We'll learn more about Stuart and Eugenia's ministry in Nicaragua. And as you listen to the program, you may notice some difficulty with the sound. That's because of uh, the podcast being originated in Cedarville and Stuart being in Nicaragua and being at his class or being at his school during the program. So uh, take that into account, but I know you'll enjoy this week's Cedarville Stories podcast with my guest, Stuart Lee. Welcome to the program, Stuart. Hi, thank you. Stuart, for the past few months, uh, Dr. Dan Stirkenberg and Dr. Jeff Guernsey have suggested to me many times that I should have Stuart Lee on the Cedarville Stories podcast. So being a good person, I listen to him, and that's why you're here today to talk about your story, what's going on in Nicaragua. And I, and I want to say uh, for those listening, I love getting recommendations of potential guests on the podcast. So feel free to email me at mweinstein at cedarville.edu, and I'd be glad to consider your idea for a future podcast. But in prepping for today's program, Stuart, uh, I learned that you have a heart for missions, which was cultivated at Cedarville. Let's begin there, really at the very beginning. How did you decide to enroll at Cedarville University many years ago? Um, actually, I had friends from Cedarville, so people that um, uh, that were from my Christian school that uh, were at Cedarville, and so they highly recommended uh, me and my friends to go. And so, actually, I think four people from our small class of 19 kids in our Christian school ended up going to Cedarville, and so um, that was one of the biggest draws that we had people recommending Cedarville um, that were friends of ours. So we talk a lot at Cedarville that if you enroll at Cedarville, you'll make friends that last for a lifetime. Has that mm -hmm. been your experience, Stuart? Yes, that is. Actually, most of my supporters are my friends from Cedarville. So they're the ones that are sending me $50, $100 a month to keep us here on the mission field. Okay. And um, that's not something I planned. I made friends in Cedarville to be friends, but they saw the vision and they saw 
where God was taking me firsthand when I was at Cedarville. And so they, they buy that vision. And so they want to support what uh, my wife and I are doing here in um, Christian education here in Nicaragua. Uh, that's, that's fabulous. And as I mentioned in the introduction, you graduated back in 2013. Mm -hmm. Does it really seem possible to you that you've really been out of school for nine years? Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to believe. Uh, I still think I'm a young person. So we work with the youth group here and, and I still feel like I'm one of them until I realize that I'm 31 and they're 20 something. Well, we're doing this interview by Zoom and you look young. So take advantage of your youthfulness, at least your youthful lookingness. Thanks. Uh, recently, Stuart, you were back in, in the United States. You were in Boston to see your sister and her family. You came to Cedarville where I really officially met you for the first time, at least I remember, but you came to see college friends and professors, and you also visited churches in your hometown of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but this trip was also important for medical reasons involving your daughter, uh, Melody. How's her health, and what did you learn from the doctors during this visit? I mean, that's one of the biggest um, struggles in Nicaragua, just not having access to good health care. So our daughter has a condition where she has seizures every time she has a fever. So every time she gets sick, we're on our, uh, we're on high alert. And so we didn't know why that was happening. And then that um, uh, spawned into pneumonia. So just constantly being having pneumonia. And so being able to come back to the U.S. and get the medical care was um, very valuable. And we were to find out that it could be some traces of asthma and so she has an inhaler now and that's helping her um, control whatever issue she has. So today she's doing uh, fairly well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she hasn't gotten sick since. She actually didn't get sick at all during her trip to the US. And so that was a blessing because it'd be difficult to travel with a, a sick three-year-old. Yeah, that would be difficult. And uh, we'll pray that, uh, and I ask our listeners to pray for Melody if, is, as you think about her with her health situation, it's really important. and. Uh, but the trip was also meaningful for Eugenia as she completed the process for her U.S. citizenship. Where did that process take place? And what was the process for Eugenia to get that U.S. citizenship? Um, it was a long process. So she's actually from Nicaragua. We met in Nicaragua while we were serving or while I was serving in the field and she was working at the same school I was serving at. Um, and so she's always wanted to learn English and and be in the US. And so originally, right after we got married, she got denied three times for a visa. And wow. so we were kind of stuck in, in the U, uh, in Nicaragua. And so my parents would come visit us since we couldn't go back to the US. Um, and so it's definitely been a long process. We were married for six years. And so um, it's been difficult to learn English in a foreign country, even though, even though I speak English, but I think people that um, speak two different languages in the household will know that it's difficult for the spouse to teach another spouse uh, a language. It's just, so she, it was difficult for her to learn English, but she was able to do it. And we're so proud that she finally got her U.S. citizenship. And that's only part of the story. As I read about your journey back to the States, uh, now that she's a U.S. citizen, getting a new passport was also important on this mm -hmm. trip, but it wasn't easy. Tell us about the process that you both went through to get her passport and the unusual way that it came about on this trip. Yeah, so uh, we looked up online. It takes about 12 weeks to get a passport, but we have a school running here. We have a church here, and so we can't just be gone for 12 weeks. And so uh, we, we found out that you can do an emergency passport. So we applied for that, but they in Philadelphia, where uh, we were located, there were no 
there were no spots available at the passport office. And so we just so happened to be flying to California to visit another church and in San Francisco. And that passport office had a lot of open spots. And so we applied there and got accepted. And so the day of the appointment, something happened with the systems and all the computer systems were down. So they said, well, we can't really help you. Just come back in the afternoon and, and hopefully we can get our systems back up. And we were leaving the next, you know, we were leaving that night uh, back to Philadelphia. So it had to work for, it had to work or else we'd be stuck. And so uh, we got back at three and the guy was like, we got the systems back up and everyone who applied for the passport can get their passport. And so we, we were able to get her passport um, by the skin of her teeth. So I want to push back on one thing you said and then a question. So you said that it just so happened. Now you really don't believe it just so happened, did you? It was God. God had it all worked out because he knew we needed to get back here and we had things to do with the church and, and with the school. So we right. had to be back here to serve. Right. I, I knew that was the case. Uh, but when you said that um, if you didn't get the passport, you would be stuck, does that mean once you left the States, you couldn't come back? Or what does being stuck mean? Technically, you can't leave the U.S. without a passport as a right. U.S. citizen. And so we would have to change all our flights and, and kind of figure out what to do for the next four or five weeks, up to 12 weeks waiting for a passport. So you would not have been able to go back home to Nicaragua then? Yeah, or I'd go by myself and leave Eugenie and, and my daughter in the U.S., which was not an ideal situation. Stuart, I want to finish our program by talking about the Christian Academy that you founded a few years ago. Um, what prompted you to open a Christian school in Nicaragua? Um, yeah, so I studied business, finance, and accounting at Cedarville University and really enjoyed the major. And I got into the major thinking I'd become a millionaire doing financial <laughs> planning or whatever it was, stockbroker. Um, but while at Cedarville, God changed my heart um, to, to heart of ministry. And so I wanted to use uh, my business degree for something better. And so one of the things that our professors pushed was business as missions. And so I began formulating that idea while at Cedarville, how can I use business to uh, on the mission field? And so the original thought was to start some kind of business in a third world country that could generate income. And then with that income, we, we could do orphanages and feeding programs in schools. And so that was kind of the vision. But once I got down here to Nicaragua, we saw that it was a lot more different than what we thought. And so um, instead of starting a business per se, we ended up starting a Christian school that's self-sustainable. So we do charge a small amount to keep the school running. But through the Christian school, we started a church, we started a youth group, and uh, we're really branching out now to the parents of the school as well. Uh, who are majority Catholic okay. and uh, really trying to reach um, reach uh, the people of Nicaragua with the gospel through the Christian school, which is uh, our de facto business. Yeah, that's that's really neat. So you talked about your professors in the business school pushed the uh, business as mission. So who are some of those professors that really impacted your time and your and your change the heart? Yeah, so Dr. Guernsey uh, was one of my professors in the finance um, department, and we actually went on a mission trip together to Bolivia one spring break. And so that was one of the trips that really marked my time at Cedarville, being able to go on that trip with him and, and other students and seeing what business as missions looks like in third world country. So your school, what year did the school open? We started the school in 2018. So we were about, we're in our year number four. Five. What grades are represented in, in the school? What do you offer? 
So we started with just preschool and kindergarten uh, and just kind of worked our way up. Um, and so now we're up to fourth grade. And so the goal is to add a grade every year um, as those kids advance. So ultimately it'll be a K through 12? Yes, ultimately. Curious. Um, I don't know what kind of schooling was available to Nicaraguans before you came, but how did the people of the country respond to your school when it first opened? Um, so we actually attracted a lot of non-Christians. We, we, we said we're a Christian school and a lot of people that weren't Christian or, and, and were from other religions, they actually flocked to our school because they were looking for better education for their kids. So they bought the vision of uh, a higher quality education. So the, the, the schools here, uh, they're, they're too full. So there's 60 kids to one teacher. The buildings are dilapidated. It's free, but they don't really get anywhere with education just because of the lack of funding. Right. And so for us to be able to come and, and offer a higher quality education, that was actually a very big draw to these parents. And so we draw them in with the promise of a better quality education, but then we also tell them about the gospel while they're with us. And so that's kind of our, our mission. Yeah, that's a great mission. Where do you get your teachers from? We hire all local teachers, so we uh, are connected with the local churches, and we try to find good Christian teachers that buy our vision and, and want to um, advance Christian education to these kids. So are you open to, down the road, maybe there's a, a good teacher or two who graduates from a Christian college in the cornfields of Ohio that you may take them? Yeah, we're always looking for volunteers to come in and help us out. It's been difficult. Um, so we have There are missionaries here, but the majority stay in the capital city. So we're up here far away in the mountains. And so there's no McDonald's here or anything. And so not many people like to come up here, but it's still a great place if you like to be um, it, it really disconnected from, from the world. It's a great place to be. The people are a lot nicer here um, than in the city. And so yeah. I, I love it. I love it here. What's the population of the, of the town that you live in? We actually, there's about 60,000 60, people in this town. Um, it's the largest town um, before we get into the villages. Um, so that's where you get the indigenous people. So actually, the a lot of like medical teams come here and they use this as a staging point. And then they will go out into the jungles and, and reach out to people and then come back here to our city. And so it's kind of like the, the last major city before you get out into the, the wilderness. Okay. okay, so so right now you mentioned you have a, a K through four school going on, mm -hmm. but you also have a church in, in mm -hmm. the, that uses the building. Is that a church that you started or, or is that a church that was already there and they were looking for a nice facility? We started the church a year ago. Um, and so God placed on our hearts to start reaching out to the parents. Um, it was time. Uh, we just finished the pandemic, and so uh, we started a Bible study in our church. And the first night, 25 people came. And so we we knew at that moment that there was a hunger for God uh, and that the people wanted to know more about Jesus. They just didn't have a place to, to, to do that. And so after a few months doing the Bible study, we decided to start a church. And so now we've got seven people, 70 people in the church. Wow. That's fabulous. Back to the school and the church, actually. Do most of the people who go to your school, the students, that is, do they all live right in that area or, or are some walking for a mile or so to get to the school? Yeah, so we are in the center of town, and so that's where the majority are, but we have probably about 10% of the kids actually live 
on the outskirts of town. So they're walking like one to two miles to get to school every morning. So school starts at seven o'clock and they're spending at least over, they're spending over half an hour just to walk to school every morning, rain or shine. And, and so that's dedication for these parents that are walking their kids to school. And there's no other transportation to get the, the students to school? Um, there's buses, uh, public, public transportation. So there's some buses, um, if they have money, they can buy a motorcycle. And that can help them. But um, there's always a class of people that can't afford that. And so there's always those people that have to walk um, and make do with, with what they have. Stuart, uh, from talking with you when you were on campus, just a little time that we were together, and from reading your prayer letter, uh, I know you've wanted the school to begin offering, I'll say, fine arts classes. Last I knew, you had like 41 students currently in your upper elementary mm-hmm. grades. And you were praying that uh, that vision of offering music could become a reality. Um, share with us, because I know uh, this has happened, and I'm interested in you sharing how the Lord really opened the door for your academy to begin offering music classes. Yeah, so I come from a music background. I, I play violin, piano, guitar, and trumpet. And my sister is a music major, and so she's a music teacher now. And, and so I've always been involved in music. And so that's always been one of my goals is to teach these kids music. And so we were trying to hire a music teacher and we couldn't find anyone. And we finally found someone, but something just wasn't right. We didn't feel like he had the same vision. And so we ended up not hiring him. And I was kind of bummed because I really wanted to start a music program. Um, but then we had another student uh, who happened to have a father who was a music teacher. And we didn't know about that. And so that was brought to my attention. And so we ended up interviewing him and he was the right person. And so his his vision is to train um, teens to play music, um, to play in church. And so he that's that's his main goal. And so he just teaches worship music to to um, to his students. And so that's exactly what we wanted. And so I thought, well, we've got 41 kids in upper elementary, maybe 10 would be interested. Um, And and now we are up to 34. So basically all the kids were interested in learning something. So we've started with piano and guitar and they're just loving it. And so I'm really excited. We hope to have a music concert at the end of the year so they can show off what uh, they've learned. And and we know that all these kids one day will uh, hopefully be playing music in, in their respective churches and really glorifying God through the art of music. Oh, what a fabulous mission and vision, I should say. Are you teaching any uh, musical instrument? No, I'm not teaching. I, I teach English. So we don't really have any native English speakers here. So my goal is to really make sure the English component is um, done right. And so I teach three classes a day in the morning to the upper elementary grades. Um, and so that's kind of my contribution to the teaching, even though I never studied to be a teacher. <laughs> well, I'm sure you do it well. So as, as a founder of the school, obviously you, you wear a lot of hats. You're, you're interested in maintaining the, the school so it's thriving and operational. You're also now, t- I guess, teaching. What other responsibilities do you have as the leader of this school? Yeah, so I'm the principal. I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. Uh, I'm the English teacher. I'm the maintenance guy. I'm a missionary, so I need to deal with fundraising. I'm a father, a uh, husband. And so, yeah, it's definitely a lot of hats that I uh, have to wear and juggle around. So how do you manage your time so that you're not shortchanging anyone or anything? 
one of the things I learned at Cedar was how to work in a team. So delegation. And so we're working to train the local Nicaraguans to, to do a lot of these jobs. And so that I can just oversee and not have to be in every single aspect of it. And so all the opportunities I had to work in teams at Cedarville, um, class council and, and yearbook, everything that I was involved in, uh, I, I see uh, prepared me for this moment and uh, being on the mission field. That's neat. And uh, I remember one of my uh, former presidents at a, at a different university in Pittsburgh uh, told me that uh, he, I think he believed that, that uh, if it's worth doing, it's worth delegating. And it's great to have, it's great to come alongside with a team and, and uh, share, share the load, share the joy, share everything. And it's a better product. And I, I encourage you to keep going. And uh, that way you're not burned out uh, anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. As we begin to wrap up today's program, Stuart, I'm, I'm interested in hearing what's next for your school, for the church, and just your ministry in Nicaragua. We have a grand vision. Uh, right now we have 116 students in the school. Uh, we want to expand the school to, to house 500 students. And we also have a property that's closer to where the poor neighborhood is, where the kids walk from. And we want to build another school there that could reach a thousand students. And so we want to be able to do a, um, between the two schools, 1500 students um, in, in this small town, which is, I guess, not that small compared to Cedarville because we've got 60,000 people. Right. Um, but yeah, we see that God is really using this ministry to not just reach out to the kids, but reach out to the families and the parents um, for the gospel. And so we hope that we can plant a church out um, on the edge of town as well and really reach that population as well. And so, yeah, right now we're fundraising. We have a $4 million fundraiser um, so, we, so we can expand the current school and build a second school so that we can uh, complete that vision, that this vision that God has placed on our hearts. How's that uh, fundraising campaign going? Uh, we're knocking on doors and, and just praying. And we know that, um, that it, it's in God's timing. So I was telling um, someone today, everything has to line up. The money has to be there. The, the, the builders have to be there. Everything just has to work out perfectly um, for it to work out. And it's only God who can do that. And so we're just praying and trusting in God and we know that uh, he'll open the doors and show us where to go next when it's the right moment. Yep. And, and we both know that, um, all things are possible with the Lord. So back to your school. Um, are you the only Christian school, elementary school at this point in your area? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we started the first Christian school in this town. So there's two um, Catholic Christian uh, Catholic schools and, and there's another English school, but we're the only Christian school in, in the town. Okay. And when we were talking about that, you, you have some st students, uh, walking a mile or two to school. And then that's, and that's the area I think where you want to put the others, the new school, yeah. the, mm -hmm. um, the demographics of that area, isn't that a little on the more uh, poverty side of the, yeah. the area? Yeah. So it's, um, so the government started a housing project out there and so it's a new build. Um, and so there are no schools there at all. And so all students, all kids that live in that area have to walk two miles into town to go to school. And so we can build that school out there. That would that would be for everyone. Um, anyone that lives in that area can can go to that school and, and not have to walk as far. Yeah, what a great ministry that uh, that the Lord has put on your heart. And uh, I look forward to seeing um, or hearing from you uh, in the coming uh, weeks, months, and years. Just what the Lord has done through your ministry, which really 
it started with your faith in Jesus. But one thing that's exciting for me is this all was cultivated right here at Cedarville University. The Lord changed you dramatically. You were actually, as a phrase we like to use, transformed, really, and mm-hmm. for, for ministry and, and mission. So I want to thank you for sharing your story. Uh, how can our listeners pray for you, your family, and the ministry in Nicaragua? Um, pray for protection, spiritual protection. One thing we've seen as we are doing God's work, that's when the devil comes and wants to attack us. He doesn't attack people that are static, that aren't doing anything for the Lord. He attacks people that are are actively working in what God wants. And so we've seen a lot of attacks, um, spiritual attacks, um, people that are coming to try to stop us and destroy us, the government. And so we need to really um, be strong in our faith and we need prayer um, for protection over this building, over over the ministry, so that um, God can really realize, uh, God can really um, make this ministry uh, what he has planned it to be. What's been the hardest part of building this ministry for you? I think it's the faith. I mean, I remember in 2017, we were traveling to different places, came to Cedar, went to Cedarville as well, fundraising and telling people we want to start a school. If we had no money, we had no land, we had no teachers, we had nothing. And it, it was just faith. That's all we had. And I had to share it as if it were going to happen, even though we had no idea how it would happen. And lo, lo and behold, 2017, March, we were traveling. We were in Cedarville sharing and everything. And when we got back in May, we had the building and we started the school the following year, 2018. And, and so it's all these steps of faith that we had to take. Um, even when we were building this current building, uh, it was in the middle of a pandemic. We started the building. We started fundraising in June of 2020 and we started building in in November of 2020 and so but it was a step of faith um I remember when we uh when we got the first amount of money it was like okay well we don't have all the money but we have to wait to go even though we don't know where the rest of it's going to come from and so definitely faith and even now I'm we're talking about four million dollars and it's such a big number I've never seen before never (laughs) I, I don't know but it, I have to speak, I have to talk about it with faith because I know God is going to do it. He's placed it in our heart um, to, and he's going to, he's going to fulfill it. And so I think faith has definitely been the hardest because there's so many times where I want to throw in the towel and say, well, maybe I'll just go back to my desk job in, in the U.S. and and just kind of live a nice life and not to stress through this. But yeah. um, definitely, I think it's worth it. I felt that it's worth it um, doing God's work um, here in Nicaragua. Yeah, it is. It is worth it. So uh, you're in a brand new building, correct? Uh, we renovated it, yeah. Okay, so you renovated a building. Mm-hmm. And is, is it fully uh, paid for? Yes. Okay, so... so um, I'll share with this. We asked for $100,000, and we got $220,000. Mm-hmm. And this was in the middle of a pandemic. I didn't have to fly. Usually when you fundraise, you fly and you speak in the churches. I couldn't fly out. So it was just with newsletters, sending it out, and and God brought the money in. It, I mean, there's no there's no... Um, there's no explanation of how it worked out. God touched the hearts of people and and the money came because he wanted it to. Yeah. And the building was built in the middle of a pandemic. So it's all God. It's all God. And, and uh, how exciting it is to see when that happens. And it happens all the time. And sometimes we're not cognizant of, of really what he's doing, but uh, that's a great story. So my last question before we wrap up the program is, so I asked you what the hardest is, has been for you, but what has brought you the greatest joy as you've seen 
the money come, the students come, the building, get ready. What brings you the greatest joy in what you're doing right now? I love the people. I love seeing God change hearts. So we've got, we had one mother who just came in, she was angry, bitter, and, 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 and now she's part of the church and she's changed 360 change, um, seeing other parents accept Jesus, get baptized and just seeing how, how it started from these small seeds that we planted in their kids. And they saw that change in their kids. And then they said, I want that too. And so for me, that's the greatest reward seeing that. Yeah. You, you can't place, uh, any monetary value on a, on a changed life. And it's far, it's far greater than uh, riches and, uh, and possession. So, uh, Stuart, I want to thank you for spending the last 30 minutes or so with us and sharing your story, sharing your heart. It's refreshing just to sit here and listen to you talk. And uh, next time you're in Cedarville, uh, I'm sure you're going to be talking to Dr. Gernstein, Dr. Sturkenberg, but make sure you say, hey, I want to go see Mark Weinstein. I'd love to visit with you again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for your time and thank you for inviting me to your podcast. You're welcome. Have a great day and thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory. Mm -hmm.